This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. That's unthinkable to me. That you have an opportunity in your lifetime to be a professional. That you think about quitting. See, you don't quit it. And, and, and you don't quit in sports. You retire. You don't get to quit. It's not an option. See, someone told me that a long time ago. That, that ain't even an option. And the person told me that, he ain't here anymore. He died. You don't get that option. Now, you can retire. You can do that. But you ain't quitting. You ain't doing that. Not on my watch. Hello? <laughs> You play to win the game. That is one of the great uh, coach moments over the years. That's Coach Herm Edwards. He's a successful player at all levels, su successful coach at all levels, just known for his, um, his integrity and, and his blunt honesty, as you saw in that clip there. And, and the context of that, he's coaching the New York Jets at the time, and that, that team, that whole franchise really needed a reminder because they had just been kind of stuck in the dredges of the NFL. They kind of are uh, these days too, but just kind of asking that question, what, what in the world are we here for, right? Or if, if we're just going to go through the motions, if we don't know what it is that we're trying to accomplish, what, what are we even doing? And so that team needed that moment. He was obviously uh, unloading on a reporter in that moment. Poor guy asked the wrong question at the wrong time. But the team needed to hear that. Every once in a while, we need that reminder. And it's the same question that we like to come back to from time to time. Um, a lot of times in August, early September, just different transition points in the ministry year, to remind ourselves what, is, what exactly is it that we're doing around here at Fieldstone Church? What, what are we here for? And last week we got into our mission, which is to transform family trees with the gospel. And there are other talks that you can go back to. If you're looking for a little bit more, maybe you're newer, maybe you need a little refresher on what we're about. We did a series last September called Reset, where we addressed our mission. And we talked about what it means to get small. It's a phrase you'll hear around here, what it means to get away what it means to be life-giving. That's a phrase we use around Fieldstone quite a bit. So if you go to our website or, or Apple Podcasts, you can find it last September, that series called Reset. We did one in August 2020 where we went through our Fieldstone values. And, and it's just kind of a reminder of what we're about and what drives us. What, what's that common language that we use around this place? Um, and today is another important reminder, and it goes a little bit further because our, our family tree mission is important. That's our unique that's our unique expression of what we're here for, and yet we're a part of something bigger than our family tree mission. We're a part of something more significant, something more eternal than our creative little mission statement. Our mission statement is a part of something bigger. It's, it's the mission of every church, and it's the great commandment. It's the great commission, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, hopefully a healthy combination of the two. That's, that's what every church is here for, every Every church that's pursuing what God has called us to be is following the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, which, we'll, as I said, we'll talk about today. And, and we're going to be quick. Uh, uh, we talked about small groups. We're going to end a little bit early today. So if you have plans, you're like, we got to be at uh, Peppers here in Milan at 12.05. Um, well, guess what? I'm going to let you out of here at 11.55. 
And you can pretend you have five free minutes. You can stop at the tables and look at the small group options or pull it up on our website. Whatever you got to do, we'd really love to see you get plugged in. So, uh, so Matthew 22 today, starting in verse 34, and Jesus is approached with a question. Here's how it plays out. Matthew 22, 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now first, before we get to that question, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there's a little bit of uh, play going on between them. These are two rival religious factions within the Jewish faith. So same background, same faith, same overall goals, and yet some disagreements on some key topics and things like uh, uh, resurrection, no resurrection, that kind of stuff. But one of the key things for them was the Sadducees They believed that if it's not written and clear and black and white in the scriptures, if you can't pull it out of there, it's not a direct command from God. They were all about the black and white. If it's in there, it's legit. If it's not in there, it's not legit. The Pharisees were on the other side. They gave as much weight to interpretations and to applications. They gave as much weight to things that were extrapolated from the scriptures as they would give to things that were in there in the black and white. So, for example, okay, it's the Sabbath day. Consider, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? So we rest on the seventh day. We, we take a break. Well, okay, if you're a farmer, what does that look like? Because if you're a farmer, you still have farm animals. You still have duties. They need to be fed and watered and taken care of. So, so let's say one of your farm animals falls in a hole on the Sabbath day. Can you help it out? Okay, maybe you can help it out. But what times can you help it out? What if it's just barely the Sabbath day? Or the Sabbath day is pretty much over in an hour. You know, the, the, the clock will turn over and it's a new day. Can we do it then? Well, how much effort does it take? How many people do you need help with? So, so they'd, they'd think about all these practical applications. Say, all right, this is what you can do. This is how you keep the Sabbath day holy. This is how you rest. This is when you can stop resting. And they would take all those extra things and give them the same weight as remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So they, they had all these different things that they would add on to it. Now, both groups had their wacky ideas. Both groups uh, got, got plenty of flack from Jesus over his time on earth. Uh, but what you need to understand is that when the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees had been bested by Jesus, they're thinking, well, of course Jesus bested them. It's the Sadducees, right? So that's, that's kind of some of the tension here as Jesus is receiving this question. And it says they tested him with a question, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? How can you even ask that? Because what they're saying is, Jesus, out of the 600 plus commands that we find in the Old Testament, Jesus, out of maybe just the 10 commandments, these things that we hold dear and revere for all of these centuries, Jesus, not just that, out of the so many moments and things that God offered his people and demanded of his people in in a covenant relationship with them, and for the Pharisees, out of the countless interpretations, out of the countless applications that we've added on top of those 600 things, which one is the biggest? What's the greatest of all of those things? So this isn't a test question. This is a trap question. Some of you have been on the receiving end of trap questions before. Maybe a modern example is, hey, did you purposely do that wrong or are you just that stupid? Not a great answer to that question, right? Your options are very limited when it comes to that question. Some of you have heard this next trap question. Do you know how fast you were going? Anybody heard that from one of our men in uniform before? Do you know how fast you were going? Well, no, I don't know how fast I was going. Oh, so you weren't paying attention 
to your speed. That's unacceptable. Yes, I know how fast I was going. I was blatantly speeding. I'm sorry. So, so these are trap questions. They're not meant to have a good answer. They're just supposed to put you in a difficult position for whatever reason. So this one, this one is, an, is a trap because, number one, Jesus would have to, in order to answer this question with any authority, he would have to know every single command in an intimate way, and not just the command, but the different views on those commands, the different interpretations of those commands, the different applications added on to those commands. Jesus of all of these, which we're, we're sure you know every single one intimately, which is the greatest? In forcing him to choose, it's forcing him to elevate one command, and to elevate one means to devalue the rest of them. That's a, that's a difficult, impossible position to be in. So no matter how he answers, they're going to trap him, and it forces him to choose a side. This is a long-running debate among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders of the day. And so Jesus is being forced to get in bed with one of these human factions, with one of these human opinions. It's bringing him down into the muck of human philosophies. But Jesus drops an answer, and not only does he answer, but he goes even further than what they ask him to. So let's continue reading on into verse 37. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law. This is the part he didn't have to add that in. This is the holy cow statement of these verses. What he's saying is this must be listened to. This must be studied. This must be lived out to the best of our ability. He's saying, if we don't get these two right, we can't get any of it right. This is a similar moment to Proverbs 4.23, where as you're reading through the Proverbs, all this wisdom, all these things that we should live by, and it says, above all else, guard your heart. Everything else flows out of your heart. Above all else. We see this in Ecclesiastes 12 where Solomon is wrapping up this stretch. He's saying, hey, I decide I'm, I'm going to figure out what this is all about, or I'm going to figure out how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to. So he acquired everything you can acquire. He experienced everything you experienced. He did everything you can do. And at the end of it, he comes around and says, it's all been heard. I've done it all. I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. Here is the conclusion of the matter. And so when scripture says, when God says, Consider this above all else. It all comes down to this. The greatest of these is this. Here's what you need to focus on above all else. When God says something like that, we should listen. This is one of those moments. Because Jesus didn't have to say it. He could have answered the question. It's a difficult question to answer, but he could have, he could have stopped there. But he added it anyways. And it means that these two commands, love the Lord your God, love people as yourself, it's not only our top priority, but all the other things fall apart if not for these two. And remember, he's throwing this at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're all kind of gathered around there trying to trap him. So for the Sadducees, he's saying every literal thing that's written in the pages of Scripture, everything that you elevate, anything that can be proven with Bible verses and perfect translations and interpretations of the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, everything that you've studied so well, and then he turns to the Pharisees and he's saying, every brilliant, well thought out, eloquently communicated interpretation and application and the things that are so easily pulled out as expectations based on accurate study of God's word, things that are probably correct, things that you've pulled 
directly from God's word and applied to life and given great interpretation to all of them, no matter what faction you're a part of, no matter what party you're a part of, no matter what your denomination chooses to emphasize or specialize in. Because some of you guys have been to different churches, right? You go to one church, and that's a worshiping church, right? They, they, they pray, and they do the Bible, and they teach, but man, their thing is worship. And you walk in, and there's tambourines, and there's people bouncing around. They don't need Brian to force us to clap, because they just do it, right? That's just what they do. They're all about worship. By the way, wasn't it great to see Brian struggle with that one note? Because it's like, this guy's human, right? This, this is the most talented musician I know, and it's like, He's struggling. I kind of like that. It was great. But that's just a side thing. But their, their thing is worship. That's what they do. And then you go to another church, like a church I grew up in, and what do you do from, from birth? You're learning Bible verses. They're giving you money for camp if you memorize Bible verses, which is a great thing. And then you got Sunday school, and then you got Wednesday night stuff, and Sunday night church, and it's just, we're, we're going to learn the Word. We're gonna, we're gonna, it's all about God's Word. We're going to do that. And that's great. That, that's a fantastic, that's what they emphasize. They do all the other stuff. But that's the big thing. Other churches you go to, we're about missions. We've got 7,500 missionaries all getting $10 a month from us. We're just excited about all the countries that people are at, and we're going to go, we're going to support them and, and all this other stuff. Every church, every denomination, they all, and, and for the Jewish people, it's the same thing. Every group had kind of their big thing. And so Jesus is saying, no matter what yours is, no matter what your big passion area is, no matter what your big thing in Scripture is, it all falls apart without these two commands that I'm singling out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And on top of that, love your neighbor as yourself. So this brings up a couple important questions. First one is, what does it mean to love God? What's Jesus talking about there? Certainly there's things that play into it. You read Genesis and you see that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So his love for God was, he said, Abram, I know that you love me because you believe me. I told you some things, told you what I'd do, and you believe me. I'm going to credit that to you as love and righteousness. So that's, that's part of it is worship play into it, right? That an expression of love or maybe gifts, right? We do tithes and offerings. Is that part of loving God? These are things that we use to express love to other humans. But, but God doesn't need us to love him. He's not a human that requires that. He wants us to love him. We've been created to love him. But he, God doesn't have like one or two love languages that you have to figure out. Some of you guys have spouses. Maybe you did the love languages book when you were engaged or something or somebody gave it to you. And, and maybe you're like Kathy and I and, and you discovered that, that your spouse uh, experiences love through words of affirmation. And you're sitting there going, oh, I don't really do words of affirmation. This is going to be a long 60 years together. We're going, to, we're going to struggle. But you figure it out, right? And you're like, all right. And so at our house, we kind of have a running joke because I'm terrible at words of affirmation. I've got a, a wife and a daughter who crave that. And so I go, Kathy, I just want you to know, I think you're really neat. I think you're really neat. That's all I have for you. Love you. Yeah, right? And so, but but that's, you know, like, all right, how is this, per how is this child going to receive love from me? How can I communicate that them? How can my husband feel like I'm loving him, right? Like I did, I did all this, but that's not how he received it, right? So, so we, we navigate, navigate those. We can't just go up to God and give him a dozen roses. We're not going to curl up with Jesus by a fire, right? Maybe you might, might read Psalms or something. I don't know if you're that type of a person, but you're not going to drop a Tiffany's bracelet on Jesus. That's, and, and I'm the first person who would use human interactions to help us wrap our mind around what it looks like to love God and have a relationship with him, but it's limited because of how far beyond human God is. 
So what does it mean to love God? I found a quote uh, in, in some of my reading that I think helps, at least in my brain, kind of process what loving God looks like beyond some of the human emotional stuff, beyond how we typically love each other. It says this, We diminish the meaning of love when we view it as simply an emotion or feeling and therefore subject to change. I may love someone because they're kind to me. If they stop being kind, I no longer love them because my love was simply a positive feeling based on my current circumstances. Love is more than that. Love is a decision of the will to act in light of a deep, abiding concern and affection for the object of my love. When the Bible places loving God in the context of a command, it becomes a galvanizing force for not only how we feel about God in our heart, but it inspires our thoughts about him and stimulates our desires for him. Loving God motivates our every decision and empowers our very lives. Loving God then becomes a daily decision, a daily commitment beyond the emotions, beyond the circumstances from day to day. It's a daily will of saying, yes, I believe you. I do love you. I do want to follow you. This is what I'm about. So then on top of that, what does it mean to love people, specifically to love people as you love yourself? What would Jesus have meant by that? And of course, we cannot talk about love without hitting 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and you'll see kind of this first part echoes a little bit of what Jesus was talking about. He says, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So in that first part up top, it, it kind of doubles down on what Jesus said. Without love, it's all meaningless. And it, it almost hits on some of the denominations that have come about in the centuries since Jesus left. Like, all right, so, so you uh, speak in the tongues of men and angels. That's a fantastic gift. But hey, guess what? You, you can do all that fancy stuff, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. It's just noise. You can have the gift of prophecy, right? There are churches that, that value these exciting, charismatic gifts and, and all these things. All fine and good. All things grounded in Scripture. And yet all these amazing things can happen. And yet if we don't have love, it's worthless. Some might value faith. Some might value being bold and being persecuted for your faith. All that's fine, but without love, it says it's, it's worthless. And then it gets into a little bit more of a tangible picture of what love looks like in human terms. And then we take that and send it back to love people as you love yourself. It doesn't mean that we affirm and celebrate everything that they do. It doesn't mean critiquing and chastising every fault and every weakness until they fit our vision of what a perfect person is. What it does mean is taking our concerns 
for my safety, my health, my success, my happiness, my provision, and my thriving, taking all of my concerns for those things and applying it to them as much as I do for myself and for my family. In a simple way, it's, it's like any normal neighborly relationship, right? It's, it's neighborly stuff times 10, but it's normal stuff. Think about, we, we have a, a tree in our yard that overhangs our one neighbor's driveway on the other side. And a couple times a year, I'll go out and just kind of take a look. All right, everything looking good? Do I need to trim a little bit? Is this thing in danger of falling down in, in the ice or the wind? I don't want their car to have a run-in with my tree branch. Why? Because I wouldn't want my car to have a run-in with somebody else's tree branch. It's simple, golden rule stuff, right? Uh, the neighbor on the other side, same deal. We've got a bush that kind of grows towards her property, so I try to keep an eye on that. If our dog, and he will sometimes, go into her yard and poop in her grass, what do I do? We go and pick up that poop. Why? Because I don't want her dog's poop in my yard. It's very simple, right? These are, these are normal neighborly things. There was a, uh, in the last few weeks, there's been a strange dog that kind of likes to wander through the neighborhood. We finally figured out where he's from. But at first, she, she called us and said, hey, just want to give you a heads up. There's a strange dog wandering around. It's a big German shepherd, great dogs, but not if you're not really sure what they're about, right? Why did she let us know? Because she would have wanted to know and be aware of the situation and so because she would have wanted to know, she let us know, right? Normal, simple neighbor stuff, but an example of what we're talking about. Loving God, having a thriving, healthy relationship with him, living in dependence on him, living in surrender to him. Loving God is pretty much invisible, right? There's no scorecard that you can, there's no thing that says he, he loves God, right? You know, you've got moments, but... It's, it's this invisible, intangible thing that can't be measured or observed. Loving God can't be seen or touched except for the way our love for God is expressed in the way that we love others. If you love God, all of the things you would desire for yourself, you'll desire for others and seek to bring those things about in their lives. It's like we see in Matthew 25 where Jesus is saying, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, when I was in prison, you cared for my needs. And they're going, what? what? Jesus, we've been with you forever. You've never been to prison. He goes, no, no. When, when you did that for them, you were doing it for me. When you love others, you are loving me, Jesus says. That becomes the tangible expression of our love for God. And then the final question that comes out of that is, well, what's the desired outcome of this love? Because right? you can love outside of the context of Scripture. You can love outside of the context of being a part of a church. So what's the desired outcome of this love? And we see that over in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 6, 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others. This love that you have for God, this thing that you are experiencing in relationship with him, that light that you have, the love that you have for him, let that shine before others. Love them as you're loving God so that they may see your good deeds, see your love, and glorify your Father in heaven. Basically, we love God, right, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's an act of will. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a life of belief and faith. And so out of that love for God, we love people as a tangible expression, as an overflow of our love for God. And we do all that so that the people that we're loving, the people that we're serving, the people that we're caring for, as much as we care for ourselves, will turn around and have a chance to experience that love for themselves, to experience the light of Christ for themselves.
That's the Great Commission, which we find in Matthew 28, where Jesus is leaving, and he says, I've been given all power and all authority. Here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to take that power and take that authority, and as you go throughout the world in your various ways and contexts, I want you to make disciples. I want you to tell other people about me. I want you to give them a chance to believe the way you believe, and I want you to teach them what it means to follow me. I want you to baptize them into this family of God that I've created for you. And so we have our family tree's mission, right? I think it's creative. I think it works. It's personal for me. It's personal for many of you as, as you've seen it play out in your family trees and things like that. And yet, as much as we can rally around that, this great commission, this great commandment is what it's all about. Love God. Love people as much as we love ourselves. And out of that grow the kingdom. That is what this is all about. And so we'll take those things and I'll just ask you a couple simple questions just to hopefully get your gears spinning as you walk out of here today. Do you love God? Have you experienced that relationship with him where you give him your life and your faith and your trust and allow him to begin transforming you from the inside out? Have you given him your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Are you sold out to this truth? Are you all in on this truth? Do you know him? Have you experienced the trust and the provision and the direction and the purpose and the peace that come in the midst of that relationship? Do you love God? And then out of that, is your love for God being tangibly expressed in the way you love people? Is your love for God advancing the kingdom? Is your love for God revealing something about your life and your faith that you want people to see? Because maybe it's revealing areas of weakness in your life. Maybe the way you interact with people is revealing something lacking in the way that you love God. In what ways are you pursuing the best interest of others as much as you pursue it for yourself? The team's going to come and do one more song to close us out this morning, but um, the truth is when it comes to this kind of stuff, for many of you guys, you've been in church your whole life, this is a lot of review, right? There's there's some passages that, that we'll do, whether it's me or Joe or others, and we're like, man, this is, this is a really common passage of Scripture. Can we hit it from a different angle? Is there a different way we can hit this and apply this? But this is one of those where, you know, this time of year, it's just a good reminder of the basics. You, because our answer to these types of questions, our responses in these real-life moments of opportunities, it, it can reveal the genuine nature of our faith and our walk. And in many ways, as Jesus seems to indicate, not only does it reveal where our faith and our love are at, in many ways, it hinges on where our love is at. These guys are going to sing a song called The Commission, and it's kind of the Great Commission put to song in, in some ways, and it's just a reminder, and it's, it's kind of Jesus singing to us in a certain way. And as he goes, as he's, he's died and he's rose from the grave and he's getting ready to leave and enter eternity and leave his disciples behind, he reminds them, there's some things that I need you to do while I'm gone. Right? I'm going I'm to leave the Holy Spirit. You'll have all the power and the resources and the, the provision that you need to accomplish these things, and yet there's still work to be done. There are people who need to know, and it's going to be accomplished in the way that you love me, he says, and in the way that you love people, um, and that's when things get accomplished. Let's listen.